Hello guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger Tour podcast. Obviously, as usual, we're going to be talking about the events that happened, four of them in fact, and also about the events that are going to take place, so free previews. Um, when it comes to when I'm recording this, basically just two hours after, maybe even less after the last Challenger final for this week finished, that was in Cherbourg. But anyway, let's just get down to business and let's just start by talking about the event in Manama, which was the biggest one we had last week, the Challenger 125 in Bahrain. And Mikhail Kukushkin won that one over Richard Gasquet. And uh, that's a, obviously a, a very high profile final, you know, the two veterans. That was actually a main tour final as well back in 2013 in Moscow. And Kukushkin used to be 0-4 and four against Gasquet, including obviously that lost final in Moscow. However, this time he beats him in Manama. And when it comes to Kukushkin, this is his 15th challenger title which actually puts him at second place when it comes to active players behind uh, Facundo Bagnis. I'm not including Maximo Gonzalez in this, by the way. Maximo Gonzalez also has 17 titles like Bagnis. However, I'm not including him because the ATP didn't. So, you know, because he's not active in singles anymore. So I'm just going to go Kukushkin, second most, uh, second most titles at the challenger level out of active players. And for Kukushkin, obviously, we can remember last year he had a couple of these brutal, brutal losses, mostly the one against Moreno Dalboran, was it? Um, let me actually quickly check that. I think the, the first one was against Moreno Dalboran in Tyler, right? And then the second was against Steve Johnson in Bloomfield Hills. I think p- perhaps the one against Moreno Dalboran was even more brutal, but both of them really. I mean, courts that really suited Kukushkin, great runs for him, but he can't quite get the job done. And this is his first challenger title, the one in Manama, since 2018. So he was really waiting for quite a while, especially considering he's won 15 over the years. And uh, yeah, I think I mentioned last time that he didn't make the cut for Australian Open qualities, but like right now, he is absolutely guaranteed to make the French, the Wimbledon, maybe even, well, the US Open, maybe not, because then the finals from Tyler and from uh, Bloomfield Hills are going to be dropping. But basically, if he keeps up this form, he's back there at the slums and he was fabulous all week. The way he uh, beats Tina, Richard, Shelbach, Menchik and Gasquet without dropping a set, especially the performance against Menchik, I mean, just outplayed him completely, you know, showed that experience gap and, of course, how tricky he is with the flat hitting that most players aren't really used to. And then, then in the final against Gasquet, you couldn't really see why this was a tough matchup for him before, because from Richard, you're going to get a lot of these loopier forehands, right, because his forehand technique is so wobbly. At the same time, you know, Gasquet really likes playing with spin and any Anytime there was a higher ball to the Kukushkin forehand, he would just crack it. He would just instantly be there. It was a very impressive performance anyway. Challenger 125 title for him. Absolutely amazing at the age of 36. Gasquet, of course, being 37. And let's, in fact, talk about Richard Gasquet, who had like some pretty good chances to, let's say, start working towards his top 100 uh, return this week. It's still a big run, you know, it's still a Challenger 100 final and he's going to be in the ATP 215 Doha and this week, next week, depending on where you're listening. Well, when you're listening, it's already this week. He's going to be playing Shevchenko. So it's it's good rhythm for him, especially as he was coming into this uh, tournament actually on a five-match losing streak. And he beats Hisler, he beats Buldorini, a surprise run from that Italian, and also Billy Harris, Damir Jumhur, and loses to Mikhail Kukushkin. I think this is still good, you know, at this stage of Gasquet's career because, yeah, he was on a pretty bad losing streak last year when he played the Challenger Tour. Most of the time he wasn't able to make much impact anyway. I think he lost uh, one final, right, to Benoit Per in San Benedetto, but like he wasn't on a weekly basis going deep. So it's still pretty huge, I think, for Gasquet, for this 37-year-old at this stage of his career 
a bit disappointing not to get the title because as we know the round by round point distribution changed and now whether you win the final or not makes a massive massive difference when it comes to the point gain and the semi-finalists Damir Jumhur, Jakub Menshik when it comes to Damir Jumhur, he's actually having a very solid start to the year sort of similarly to uh, Kukushkin I would say another veteran who's like just putting results putting in results consistently since the beginning of the season however um, after two challenger semi-finals he's already played the Doha qualifying as well beat Fonini and lost to Zepieri Zapieri has already defeated him twice this year. So still a solid run for Jumhur here, of course, in Manama, just before Doha Qualies. Uh, he had quite a lot of tennis, of course, uh, sort of in his legs by then already, given it was like six match in six days. But in Manama, uh, he defeated Rincon, Andreev, Gianessi, no issues against against either of these players, loses to Gasquet in the semis. Already his second challenger semi of the season. So as I said, playing at a very solid level right now. And Jakub Menshik, the other semi-finalist, we mentioned him as one of the main contenders for the title, along with Klein and O'Connell. O'Connell, who, by the way, was my pick for the title. I did horribly this week when it comes to the winner predictions. But yeah, Chris O'Connell, uh, he retired after the opening set against Billy Harris, so I'm kind of excused there. Klein actually lost to Trunheliti, so it seemed like a potentially good chance for Menshik, and his first three rounds were really easy. And honestly, credit to him for just taking care of that without any real issue because well if you're 18 if you're just sort of still learning the ropes on the tour it doesn't have to be easy and then against Kukushkin yeah it was just one of these performances where uh, the veteran who also plays a very tricky ball just completely outplays you he made Menshik feel powerless both at both on the attack and also like the natural scrambling the reach on the defense that Menshik has he wasn't able to do it either like he was just unable to really absorb what Kukushkin was throwing at him uh, so I think, you know, even if maybe the match wasn't too pleasing to watch because there were, you know, there were a lot of errors coming of Menshik's racket, I think it was still a masterclass of, of Kukushkin, really. So a solid run for the youngster. If he won the title, he would have broken the top 100. But I think we know it's coming, right? And he's going to be playing Davidovich Fokina in the opening round at Doha this week. I think that's winnable, but obviously not too easy. And then when it comes to the uh, doubles in Manama, we had a title for Martos Gornes and Tsitsipas over Kirkov and Niklas Salminen. Kirkov and Niklas Salminen were, a great, uh, were both great in Marseille last week when Kirkov played with Korda and Niklas Salminen played with Rusev Wari. Now they team up, they make a final, but Martos Gornes and Tsitsipas were actually the champions. I think uh, when it comes to you know them playing together, this was actually their first appearance ever. So they defeated Haris and uh, Moleker, then Matsui Uesugi, then Bortolotti, Gianessi and Kirkov uh, Niklas Salminen. A quite fun story in the semis for sure with uh, them playing Bortolotti, Gianessi, because Bortolotti has been like a very common partner for uh, Sergio Martos Gornes, right? And um, yeah, with that we can get to Bangalore or Bengaluru. Bengaluru, I think, has been uh, used by the ATP more often, so maybe I will switch to that if I remember. I remember on the previous episode I was saying Bangalore, but basically it's the same. Uh, well, the official name is Bengaluru anyway. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about that event. It was a Challenger 100, and we had Stefano Nepal Napolitano winning his maiden... Uh, well, sorry, his maiden, his first title in eight years. His second Challenger title after Ortisei 2016. So, you know, crazy stuff, really. And I have to say that um, there was a moment when Stefano Napolitano just seemed done, right? I don't know if you guys remember that too well, but especially when it was around 2021 and he was getting all these Biela wildcards because that year Biela organized seven challenger events. 
And Napolitano would get a wildcard every time because his dad was the tournament director for the lot of them. And uh, 217 record in 2021. I mean, Napolitano seemed done. And then suddenly, the last few months, he actually has a bit of a resurgence. Last year, he qualified for the ATP 1000 events in Rome, in Shanghai. So that's obviously, that's pretty big for him. And then uh, this year, I mean, third round of the Australian Open qualies, he loses to Klein in two tiebreaks. Quarters in Chennai, losing to Nardi, to Cassette. And then he wins Bengaluru. So, uh, I mean, really, he has shown that he still has it. He's going to be back in the top 200. And honestly, for me, in the final, like, coming into it, it was pretty clear that he is a better ball striker than Hong. And he just sort of kept showing it in the last two, or two in, in sets two and three. All, of course, all due respect to Song Chan Hong, but he just couldn't really match the offense that Napolitano can generate of both wings, how clean he strikes the ball. And yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a very nice week for Napolitano also in terms of, yeah, just watchability and how he sort of reminded us, you know, what sort of player he used to be and actually still is. I mean, the past few months, he's really been uh, quite solid and I, I definitely have been um, appreciative of, of his game the last couple of uh, months. Sweeney, Pospisil, Ekargui, Nagal and Hong. These were the wins today, this week. Obviously Nagal, the main one in the semis. Maybe we'll get to why and how when we're talking about Nagal, but still fantastic run for Napolitano uh, who managed to claim the title in Bengaluru. And as I said, it's a big reward for him. After eight years, he wins another challenger title. Well, more like seven and a half, given where Otisei is in this is in the season, but still seven and a half years. And he actually had a pretty poor finals record, like one five or one six. So for that reason also it's pretty big. He was able to recover from a slow start and win the match. And Song Chan Hong, as I said, the finalist. He was actually also in the final in Nontaburi this year already. He's had a weird record this year, but it's actually 15 and 6 by now. So like he's putting in a lot of good results. And he lost in the first Nontaburi event in the semis, then in the first round of the second event, then he made the final. Then he lost two matches at Davis Cup, but they were to Diallo and Pospisil, so you know, definitely excused there. And he makes another final. So that's three massive runs already on the Challenger Tour this year. And he beat Skulkate, Zakarov, Ramanathan in this great quarterfinal, and also Roka Bataya in the semis. Perhaps not the strongest of runs, but um, I mean, I guess that's kind of what we expect from Song Chan Hong, right? That when the draw slightly opens up at one of these hardcore events, Probably he's going to be there to capitalize on that. And in fact, of course, he is already a challenger champion from 2022 in Matsuyama. I think last year he also had a final uh, sort of like towards, uh, or was it not a final? No, maybe it was just a few semifinals. I think, it, I, no, I don't think he had a final, but, but he had a few semifinals. So we sort of expect that from Song Chan Hong, but still for him to make three major runs like this in the first two months of the year, this is the best start he's ever had. So let's see how he keeps uh, going with that. Uh, this is this was also a week uh, in Bengaluru where um, I saw an interview with him that was done. Let me let me let me tell you the guy's name because why not? Uh, from Haresh Ramhandani who did this uh, article on, on him on Sportskida and basically Song Chan Hon was talking about his uh, military duty that they have in South Korea. So the thing is that in South Korea, I think you kind of you you are not really like strictly limited to a certain time frame but you need to do like one year and a half until you're 28. So basically for Song Chan Hong, this is coming, he's 26. And apparently at the end of this year, he's gonna have to go. So, uh, you know, he's gonna get the call up. He's gonna um, enroll in the South, South Korean army. So basically this is sort of 
his you know year where he can just really go at it, go for broke. But at the end of the season, he's very likely gonna have to um, gonna have to uh, be drafted. And also that was a thing, of course, last year when we had the Asian Games and Hong and or and Sun Wukwon were like tryharding to get the gold medal in the doubles because that's one of the exceptions. Uh, that's one of the uh, way you can get exempted from the uh, you know military co-op. And uh, Hong didn't, of course. Hong and Kwon actually lost in the semis. I think Hong also lost in the semis of the singles at the Asian Games. So basically, uh, that's that's sort of the, the story, if you may. And by the way, let me tell you that the Bengaluru uh, event, and in general, the Indian swing, I have to tell you, like, Indian people love tennis. I hope that there's going to be more youngsters coming after Sumit Nagar, hopefully also more in the singles, because of course in doubles, Indians have a ton of quality players. Maybe Rohan Bopana can also spike an interest, you know, just by, just by you know, being an excellent doubles player, winning the Australian Open, getting to doubles number one. He was also present at the final in Bengaluru. But I have to tell you that like the reactions from the crowd, it can be like just a random plus one forehand winner and the crowd is going crazy. And it doesn't have to be an Indian match. Like today, Napolitano, Hong, I would literally leave, leave to the kitchen or something and like hear such wild roars that I would sort of sprint back into my into the room, you know, in, in, um, in front of the computer. And then it would turn out there wasn't a crazy point or anything, but but well, uh, that's that's how much they enjoyed it. And that kind of happens at all the events of the Indian Swing, which is amazing. And of course, potentially this can be a huge market for tennis simply because of how big a country uh, India is as well. And yeah, when it comes to the semifinalists, Oriol Roca Bataya, maybe let's start with him. He basically didn't even have a single challenger quarterfinal in his career on hard courts, but he actually makes the semis here. Tseng, Tristan Boyer, Max Kashnikovsky, and Seong Chan Hong where uh, his opponents, of course, Hong, he lost to. Uh, the match against Max was insane. He It went on for three hours and 30 minutes. As a whole, I think we've seen this before, where like the conditions are faster. There's a lot of altitude. It's like 900 in Bengaluru. And someone comes in sort of with a more clay court background and he controls the ball better than some maybe more powerful opponents. But honestly, the way he was able to use his backhand here, it was actually way more impressive than clay courts to me. And also, uh, yeah, just to beat Seng, Boyer, Kashnikovsky, all of them much better hardcore players than him. That was a very impressive run. And he also took a set against Hong in the semis. And speaking of the last semi-finalist, Sumit Nagal, of course, he uh, won the event in Chennai. He was on eight wins in a row here. He was still going strong, you know, beating guys like Coleman Wong or Adam Walton without... Well, there, there was some hustle in it. I mean, Adam Walton especially, that was a two-hour match despite being straight sets. But still, like Nagal was still not showing any signs of fatigue. And honestly, I think if he takes the breakpoints at 4-1, 40-15 against Napolitano, or no, it actually wasn't a 40-15, but I think he had two breakpoints anyway, I think he wins the match as well. But that really allowed Napolitano to sort of start believing, get more confident. And then increasingly, sort of as the match went on, it was clear that Nagal is actually tired. You know, even if he wasn't showing too many signs of it before, he is on his last legs, and he couldn't couldn't perform to his best standard. So that's how he loses in to Napolitano in the semi. Still a great performance from the Italian. I honestly thought of including this match in the poll for the challenger match of the week. Uh, but uh, there were just a couple of classics from Bengaluru that I couldn't really place them above them. 
but uh, it was still great. I mean, despite Nagal being physically tired, despite him sort of maybe also in actually because of that, you know, because he had to fight through some issues and Napolitano really had to raise his level from one for down in the first, uh, it was still a good show. Uh, but anyway, Nagal will actually not be in the top 100 next week, despite breaking it after uh, Chennai, because he dropped some points and he will be at 101. But basically up until um, end of April, he's not defending anything. So he's actually very likely to be, at least for two months, um, a part of the top 100. And then when it comes to, oh, my, my winner pick was Luca Nardi whom I tried again, of course, he lost in the final of Chennai to Sumit Nagal, but this time he was, like, compared to Sumit, he was incredibly tired from the get-go, really. He almost uh, he almost lost to Dana Dead in the opening round, and then he lost to Ramkumar Ramanathan in the second round, Ramanathan having a, a very nice sort of vintage round, but, but still, uh, yeah, Nardi's legs just weren't really cooperating this week. And then when it comes to the doubles, we had a title for the aforementioned Ramkumar Ramanathan alongside Sakev Meneni. They beat uh, Bitun Kuzmina and Jean Vier, the French pair. And obviously Meneni Ramanathan, even though they maybe haven't played all that much, they are very dangerous whenever they uh, get a chance to, to sort of team up. And they've actually won Chennai and, Bang and Bengaluru back to back now. They're also playing Pune next week. So let's see if they can keep that run going and maybe win all the Indian swing events. That would be a pretty insane story, but honestly, I wouldn't put it past them. And then when it comes to uh, Sherbourg, that's the third event we had, Challenger 75, and Jean-Bor Piroche wins his fifth Challenger title there, beating Matteo Martino. Um, Piroche, I have to tell you, like last year, he was one of my picks for the top 100. This year, I decided to skip him for one reason. Well, let's say two reasons, because he defends a lot of points in the spring. Basically, he made six challenger quarterfinals in a row and then finished off that run with back-to-back -back titles in Split and Oeiras. And the thing is that I don't really know if he can survive that, you know, if he can survive all these points dropping off because he was awful in the second half of last year. And I know with Jean-Bor Piroche, we always say that, you know, if he was healthy, he would be top 100 at some point. I still think that, like, his ceiling to me is definitely top 100. Maybe it's not very deep inside the top 100, but I think he's had the top 100 quality ever since he improved, let's say, second half of 2021, when he really added a lot more pop to his game. But uh, sometimes when you watch him, like the end of 2023, when he's not on that good patch of play, uh, yeah, I mean, he can look pretty far away from the main tour level. So especially as at the beginning of the season here this year, he wasn't doing much any either. It was hard to lose the belief that he might actually break the top 100 this year. Maybe he will do it because he actually is in a good position now. He's only 44 points away after winning Sherbourg. Really played himself into form this week, beating Bellucci in the second round. Then actually struggled a bit with Nikolai Vilegjanin in the quarters. Beats Quentin Alice, semi-finals, great match, what a performance, what a win. And then he beats Matteo Martino as well in the final. Uh, in the final, you know, Martino was really aggressive. He was really closing down the net. Maybe he was also pretty tired from his efforts from the last two weeks. But the way that Piroš was, well, both turning defense into offense, but also playing a lot of, um, let's say, dictating with that heavy spin, actually, also of his own. I think the courts really enjoyed that. Like, the, this is the court that Zepieri won, uh, won on last year, right? Sherbourg. And it was a very slow, sort of bouncy, hard court. And I think the same sort of works well for Piroš, even if they have very different play styles. But overall, the final, the key was probably yeah, how he was turning defense into offense and how many times with the speed, with the hands, he was able to just 
make Martino crack at the net or maybe lob him or pass him or I don't know, chase down a drop volley. Uh, another really good showing. I mean, he really played himself into form as the as the week went on. So yeah, next week's will be crucial for Piroš in terms of breaking the top 100. He's going to play the two events in Tenerife now. He wins one of them or he, let's say, makes a semi and a final or he makes two finals. He definitely does it. In other cases, we'll see, because soon enough the, the clay court season is going to come. This year, Sekesh for Hervar is a bigger event than Hungarian Challenger. Last year, he was a quarterfinalist there, but it was a Challenger 50. Maybe there he can also clinch it. Let's see. I mean, hopefully we're going to get him there. And uh, as we know, this would be like the second player from the what, what I'm usually calling the Hungarian golden generation to get there after uh, Val after Marosan and Valkus would be the remaining one. I think it's pretty clear that Fabian has the best prospects on the um, main tour. However, uh, it wouldn't su surprise me if at various points of their careers, all of them will be top 100 at some point. Anyway, uh, with, with Pirosh, I guess that's really it. Fifth challenger title, as I said. Is this the first one indoors now that I think of it? I think so, yeah. He had one in South Korea, in Gwangyu. He also had one in uh, um, Tampere 2022. And last year, as I said earlier, split Oerash. So this is actually his first indoors, but he's had a challenger hardcore title before. Matteo Martino, the finalist, back-to-back -back finals after Nottingham, very impressive. He lost a set to Maem Alish, the 17-year-old from France, that on the, recent on the most recent episode I said that I was really excited to watch. Uh, he looked perfectly fine, like he didn't have too much power, he was a little lightweight, but he was actually dictating a lot against Martino. Then Martino beats Per, Kachmazov, Hertz really plays himself into form as well, sort of. I, I know he had the form already, but like after dropping a set to Malish, sort of the tougher the opposition got, Martino was only defeating them, maybe not cleaner, but like just still comfortably, despite the level of the opposition, you know, rising. Anyway, in the final against Pirosh, as I said, he was kind of outplayed sort of defensively for the most part in a you know, counter-punching type of way by, by Piroš. But certainly still an amazing start to the year for Martino, just like Song Chan Hong has three deep challenger runs by now. He actually has the same semi-final and two finals. So uh, really impressive stuff. And he's going to be, uh, I would assume, making Ron Garros qualifying on his own ranking. And then the other, oh sorry, the, the first semi-finalist, let's maybe start with Quentin Wallis, even though he wasn't the big the bigger story this week. Quentin Wallis beat Galarno, Nav, Droguet, loses, loses to Pirosh. He kind of needed that. As we know, Alice hasn't been getting too many wins the last couple of months, the, maybe even like half a year already. He's definitely not where we thought he would be when he had a very good start to the 2023 season. However, of course, French indoor challengers, this is something he enjoys. This is something he's picked up a lot of titles at. Hopefully there's going to be more big runs for him coming as well. When it comes to Cherbourg itself, he beat uh, Galarno. I, I already mentioned who he beat, but yeah, losing to Pirosh in a high quality semi, not the end of the world for him, definitely not. And uh, Michal Hertz, the Belgian semi-finalist, 29 years old already, but this was like one of his best career runs, I would say. And I think we can easily say that, yeah, because he beat Ote, Nakashima and Layal in a row. And honestly, that Nakashima win in the second round, like that's only really matched uh, by the Bonzi one from two years ago to me, when he beat Ben Bonzi in Pozo Blanco or Segovia, one of these Spanish hardcore challengers in the summer. That was a very, also uh, to me, that was a very uh, similar display. Just very aggressive, taking the down the line opportunities, closing down the net, 
just not giving the uh, high-class opponent too much of a chance, really, and also with the way he was serving. Obviously, we have been saying that a lot this year, that Brandon Nakashima is so tough to beat at the challenger level, so posting a win like this over him, that's absolutely massive for Hertz. And he also scored a couple of other very good wins, Lyal, Ote. I thought he has a very real chance at Martino as well. Eventually, the French uh, player was able to claim it in two uh, sets. 7-5-6-4, though. It was, a, you know, it was a decent match. It definitely wasn't too lopsided, I think. And um, yeah, then when it comes to the doubles... Or actually, sorry, who was my pick for the title? And my pick for the title was Brandon Nakashima, yes. So uh, obviously, he lost to Hertz. It was a big upset. I can't be too disappointed with that. I was more so impressed with uh, with the Belgians' performance rather than rather than um, disappointed with my peak or disappointed with Brandon. Uh, we're gonna see Brandon in Paul. I mean, personally, I kind of thought that after all of these runs that he had at the beginning of the season, he might just fall back, get back to the states, and you know, sort of hit back, hit the tour again in like Acapulco, Indian Wells, Miami. But he remains in Europe. He wants to play these two more challengers well one more by now um i don't know if i like that decision but we'll see how much fire he has in paul anyway we're, we're gonna get to that of course because he is the one of the main favorites in paul but uh yeah when it comes to the doubles in Cherbourg, and we had a title for goldhoff and trotter so the college well former college duo who which won uh cleveland uh two weeks ago so after cleveland they flow over to the states and they win Cherbourg. this is now seven wins in a row for them uh, was the draw particularly tough here? I mean, Aseric and Harrison? I think that's a pretty big win. In the final, they had to play Ryan Nyboer and uh, Niklas Schell. Niklas is his name, I think. Yeah, Niklas Schell. So, uh, definitely a bit of a smoother final. Aseric, Harrison, probably the clean, uh, the, the, the key win, the most important match. Uh, Franz and Jebens lost earlier to Herz Oberleitner. Uh, Lutarevich Manafov lost to Neibor and Shell. So the draw kind of opened up, but it's still a very impressive effort from Goldhoff and Trotter to win, both in Cleveland and in Sherbrooke, sort of very different settings, very different uh, opposition as well. I think in both, well, it's actually a six-match winning streak because in both uh, tournaments they got one walkover. And then the last challenger we had was uh, 50 in Glasgow. And Clemot Schiedek claimed his maiden challenger title over Paul Jab. The let's say the let's maybe start of course as usual with Schiedek, who of course played for uh, University of Washington at the college level. He quit after two years. There's this famous story about his coach from the University of Washington, Matt Enger, retiring to help him in the pros. Apparently, or at least that was the case a year ago when I texted with one of uh, Clemo's other coaches. Uh, Matt Enger only shows up like 10, 12 weeks a year. So he's like, you know, maybe uh, not on a full-time basis. However, yeah, that's that's the story. And um, other than that, he's working with a couple of uh, French coaches as well. Very uh, talented prospect still, I would, I would say, but he had a bit of a drop-off when he didn't play a match for about four months last year. I'm not really sure what the injury or the, or the issue was. However, then he comes back and doesn't exactly start, you know, blowing away the competition anymore. Because at first, uh, especially at the beginning of the season last year, he was like really pushing everyone on the ITF Tour. He won uh, 225Ks in the month of January. He uh, qualified for Montpellier and almost beat Alice. He almost beat Klein in Marseille. So he was in really amazing shape for, let's say, the first four months of the season before it all disappeared with that injury. But it seems that he's back now. 
to me, he's not that much worse than, let's say, someone like, I don't know, Maillot, or if we're talking about Frenchmen, uh, perhaps he's not as like bulky and doesn't have the same kind of serve and pace, but he definitely plays some very smart tennis. And also, it's not like he can't take over the point, especially if he can get into the, you know, get into the right position, strike the ball early. And against Paul Jab in the final, that was a pretty wild match because he lost the first seven games and he was looking completely out of sorts, you know, just probably mostly nervous given that it was his first challenger final. And he managed to get into the match. So even though Jab was at first actually very uh, sort of dominant and just going after his forehand more than we know Paul Jab can, you know, often do, it was Shidek who started like taking his game apart completely. And, and uh, starting from that break from Love 13 at 4 all in the Love 30 at 4 all in the second set, which was, by the way, a beautiful sequence of four points, it was actually Shidek who was suddenly playing front foot tennis and really not giving Jab too much of a chance. So, all in all, a very impressive performance. He's on 10 wins in a row. And uh, that includes a 15K in Grenoble, which had a good uh, field. I mean, he beat Kivatsev, Kravchenko, Masur, Hoang. Pretty good run. Here he beats Kacper Zhuk, Carlos Taberner, Hamish Stewart, Manuel Guinard, and Paul Jab. Obviously, when he beat Kacper Zhuk in the first round, I wasn't too pleased because I thought that was a big chance for Kacper to grab a run. Uh, he was really lost on the court in that match, Kacper. Despite leading early, he like fell apart. You know, he fell apart completely. He fell apart completely. However, um, well, in hindsight, it doesn't look too, too bad, right? And maybe if it was Zhuk progressing through the first round, maybe he would have sort of taken over Shidek's spot. Although I don't know if Kasper would have beaten Manuel Guinard, for example, in the semis. But, but still, um, speaking, we're, we are, of course, speaking of Shidek here. He returns to the top 400. He actually has a career high of 331, so still a bit to gain there. But yeah, if we, if we get him playing you know, for the whole year healthy this time, who knows what he's going to do? So far, he's lost only four matches this year out of 17. Maybe one sort of disappointing loss, I would say, against Milan Harian. But otherwise, Edmund, Droguet, Foretek. Uh, really good run at the beginning of the year as well in a British ITF. And now 10 wins in a row. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think he's going to be fascinating to follow on, um, on the Challenger Tour and the high-class ITFs in the, uh, you know, this season. And when it comes to the finalist, Paul Jab, uh, another sort of returning player, right? Because in 2023, he missed half a year. He came back at the end of, let's say, July. And then he basically just played ITFs until the end of the season. He wasn't bad. Maybe he wasn't setting the world on fire. At the end of the year, he claimed in December already, he claimed a 15K title in Ceuta, one of these uh, Spanish enclaves in um, Africa. And basically, it wasn't a good field. However, this year, he decides to hit the Challenger Tour like fully. He hasn't lost in the opening round yet, which is pretty impressive in six events. He's lost to Souza, Dam, Kruger, Kwiatkowski, Stewart, Shidek. Really strong to me. And also, like, just the sheer consistency. I don't think he had it really in his, you know, so far prime, which was 2022 when he claimed that Challenger title in Santa Cruz. I think it was more of a random title that wasn't fully followed up. Whereas right now, he actually seems to be ready to um, 
be in these events on a more dominant basis, on a more regular basis. Like, yeah, keep winning matches, keep making solid runs and not really fall into, uh, you know, many losing streaks. We'll see. But to me, this is maybe even a stronger version of Jab that, than when he barely got to the top 200 in 2022. Anyway, uh, when it comes to his Glasgow run, he had to qualify beating Houghton and uh, Poliak, then Maestrelli, Robertson, Serral. Ayupovic, by the way, great performances as a whole. I'm not going to talk about them too much, but Henry Serral, the Wimbledon champ, he actually won two matches. He made the quarters just in his second challenger, uh, beating Daniel Cox and Iji Vesely. Uh, definitely, uh, I mentioned him a bit, I think, last week when he took a set of shell by him, Nottingham. And also Charney Robertson, the Scottish junior, who is um, sort of like a Diego Schwartzman type of figure. I, I think someone called him to me a Scottish Diego Schwartzman just a couple um just a couple of days ago and uh you know he's he's definitely built like that and he definitely plays that sort of tennis with a lot of grit, with a lot of effort, energy. Uh, but yeah, also a couple of excellent wins for him. But anyway, uh Paul Jab uh, makes the semis beating both of them, um wins in the semis against Elmar Jupovic and loses to Shidek in the final. I guess you could be disappointed with how easily he went away. Because after that break in the second set, the match was done. Like, Shidek just had it all for himself there. Shidek was able to stay in control and Jab did not fire back whatsoever. So if there's anything that Paul Jab can be disappointed about after this week, it's that. That in the final he did not fight back when Shidek eventually took over. But for a set and a half, he was actually playing very well. So, uh, well, there's definitely a lot of positives to look at as well for him. And when it comes to the semi-finalists in Glasgow, we've got Guinard and we've got Ayupovic. Guinard, maybe let's start with him. I think he's definitely playing a lot more solid again this season than especially at the beginning of last year, because at the beginning of last year, he didn't win a match until Sekesvoherwar, until the middle of March. So he's gaining quite a lot of points right now, Guinard. And uh, yeah, overall, I mean, he's already had the final in Nontaburi, he's had the semi in Glasgow, and just if we look at the players he's lost to, you know, Vashrotwise, Mpechi Pericard, Jacquet, and Shidek, that's absolutely impressive that he's only lost to five guys like that in 14 matches. Also, I have to mention that he's only lost to Frenchmen for now, right? Which is pretty interesting, because uh, Vachero, of course, represents Monaco, but he is... But yeah, he's basically like French Monegasque, if you may. So um, yeah, it's a funny tidbit, I guess. Let's see if that keeps, uh, you know, if that is maintained over the next few weeks, if if Guinard will only be losing to, be losing to Frenchmen. Anyway, Elmar Ayupovic, the other semi-finalist, this was his first run of the season as he was literally one and five going into this week. He beats Benjamin Locke, he beats Charlie Broom, he gets a walkover from Stuart Parker and he loses to Paul Jab. Easily could have beaten Jab and I feel like this was his chance, right? He was, he's 31. For the past few seasons, Ayupovic has been like on this verge of the ITF and the Challenger Tour. He's actually not playing too many ITFs, like he literally tries to go for Challenger qualies if he can almost every week. And um, I mean, it, it, it's not fully working out because it never really got him into like a stable challenger position, right? But I think a few times we've said that Ayupovic actually has a pretty high ceiling. It's just that he can only like play a few matches every year where he's actually reaching it. So um, basically, as a whole, I feel like he will be regretting some of these chances that he missed against Paul Jab here in the semis because this could have been his shot. Maybe not yet to stabilize at the challenger level, because I don't think even a title would have given that. 
uh, to him, but you know, to get a challenger title, to get a challenger final, to get basically uh, the most impressive achievement of his career so far. So a bit of disappointment, but still a great run for him, given he was one in five uh, going into this week. And when it comes to my pick for the winner, you know, who, my uh, yeah, my winner pick, it was Kyle Edmund who lost in the second round to Stuart Parker. And honestly, I felt very good of, about this pick after Edmund beat Kuzmanov in the first round. Uh, that was a match where, like, unlike against Delors in Nottingham and unlike against Parker, the maybe it wasn't, like, fully based around serves, you know? It was definitely a more sort of baseline type of game. And the ground strokes of Edmund, the quality of them, which still, on average, is better than, you know, most challenger players... I think it was really shining. And that also can be uh, poor for him if it does, because, well, he's not the best mover, especially right now. And maybe uh, in, in some circumstances that, that might not be good for him. That uh, maybe also physically, you know, if the match is like all about longer rallies and endurance. But in this particular one against Kuzmanov, it was. And um, yeah, he really managed to play two good sets. Second set was, you know, a throwaway. And I thought I thought that was gonna work out, you know, for me. I thought that Edmund was gonna go deep, but he actually loses to Stuart Parker, who had this insane serving performance. Like he was unbreakable. He won over ninety percent of his first serve points. I think he had sixteen aces. He was unplayable. And like once again, second week in a row, Kyle Edmund loses in a serve fest, in a serve botting contest, essentially. Uh, just like against Joris Delors in the first round in Nottingham, which is an interesting sort of thing to look at going forward, right? When it comes to how Edmund will be progressing. And with that, we can get to match and upset of the week. Uh, when it comes to match of the week, as usual, I put out the poll on Twitter. It's been there for like three hours, I guess, for now. So we might get a bit of a um, clue as to uh, what will win it. So far, it's by Hover Fonini leading. I wasn't even in, uh, sure if to include that, because when there's four events and you can only have four options in the poll in, on, on Twitter, I wasn't really sure if to even go for Shellback Fonini because the third set was horrible. However, it was still a match with a narrative. It was still a high-profile match. The youngster picking up another big win in, uh, in Manama, because of course last year that was his breakout event where he made the final. So I still decided to include it. Currently it's leading. Uh, we'll see if that, maintain, if that is maintained. I'm actually going to go for something that I probably didn't even include in the poll. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go for Roka Bataya over Kashnikovsky in uh, Bengaluru. That was 3 hours and 30 minutes. It's a discussion whether this was better than Hongor Ramanathan. I don't know. A lot of people have suggested to me throughout the week that, Ho that Hong Ramanathan was the better match. I'm just going to stick with Kashinkovsky Roka Bataya because I watched more of that. I watched it basically start to finish, whereas Hongra Manhattan, I was like keeping an eye on more so. But I think these two classics from Bengaluru, I think that was what, you know, the, the peak of the Challenger Tour last week in terms of drama, entertainment, and also quality. Uh, so so basically one of these two quarterfinals is is my pick for match of the week. I'm going to, personally, I'm going with Kashinkovsky Roka Bataya because I simply watched more of it. And then when it comes to upset, let's see if we had anything crazy. Uh, we had that Buldorini guy in Manama, whom I already mentioned, and he beat Peniston at like crazy odds in the first round, but it was via retirement. He had a couple of good upsets in the qualifying, but maybe let's forget about them sort of. Also, the opponents weren't easy, even that um, tough. It was just that Buldorini was such a, well, a, a bit of a random player at this level, really. 
Um, I think Trunheliti over Klein, yeah, it's a, it's a serious case. Even though Marco took a set of him at the Australian Open, you still sort of expect it better maybe from uh, from the Slovak. Ramanathan over Nardi, given how Nardi performed against Adet, did not surprise me really. Ekargui over Ajdukovic, I don't think that was big because Dewey can lose to anyone when he has a bad day, right? Like it's it's just the style of play plus the uh, sort of mental aspect. At the same time, Pirosh over Halis, Alice, that was already pretty big. Uh, Hertz over Nakashima, though. Yeah, I think we have to go for that. Vilek Janin over Dam, I saw that was some crazy odds as well. You can kind of argue whether Martin Dam should be that big a favorite against anyone at the challenger level. I would say no. However, yeah, I still expected him to pull through, obviously, despite his, um, yeah, also like a serve body playstyle. Ayupovic over Broom, I don't think it's that huge, no. So basically, let's go with uh, Hertz over Nakashima, right? Just just the fact of how tough Brandon has been to beat and how like almost every challenger player gets overwhelmed by his weight of shot, by his weaponry. Hertz didn't. Hertz had a phenomenal performance and probably he deserves the honors there for the, for the upset of the week. And let's get to the previews. This is the last part of our uh, plan for today. We have Po, we have Pune, and we have Tenerife. And um, Po is a challenger 125, Pune is a challenger 100, just like the other Indian swing events for now. And also Tenerife is a challenger 75. So let's start with Po, I think, just go, you know, from the biggest to the smallest as usual. And with Po, uh, Luca Von Asch is the defending champ. Of course, that was the, the event last year where we had a famous final between him and Ugo Umber. And that final actually la lasted three hours and 56 minutes, which is still the record, of course, for the longest challenger final ever by 25 minutes over uh, Devarman Yen on Winetka and over uh, Mo uh, Echeverri Mont um, Olivieri in Montevideo. So basically a, a really crazy record. And when it comes to this year, Van Asch, of course, isn't there because he's ranked higher now. He's playing bigger events. However, in Po, we have Yuri Rodionov as the top seed. He's playing Zdenek Kolash. Then Leandro Ridi in the second round. That's a big, big draw. I mean, if Rodionov Ridi is the second round, yeah, that's a blockbuster. Ridi will have to be the qualifier to get there. Lloyd Harris plays Dino Prismich. I love this first round as well. Let's see if Prismich can sort of, after that big Australian Open showing, especially in terms of how he played against Novak, not the actual points or the round he got, but in terms of that, like whether he can actually get to, uh, let's say, uh, start pulling in, you know, points, runs, results very consistently on the Challenger Tour. Last week, of course, he lost in Rotterdam to David Goffin in a tight match in Rotterdam. He saved a couple, he saved a match point, I think, in the second uh, set tiebreak, which was crazy, or maybe even a few match points, but then ended up falling apart physically in the third. We also have Escoffier against Maillot, lots of Frenchmen, obviously, in this draw. Fourth seed is Grégoire Barrère, always dangerous in these indoor events. He plays a qualifier. Shidek, with a special exempt, can play a qualifier. Kyle Edmund is here as well with a wildcard playing Tito Androguet. And then Quentin Alice, fifth seed, plays Charlie Camus. So we might get Edmund Alice in the second round, too. Uh, great first round, another one is Goffin Herbert. We've got Bellucci against Martino. Again, uh, so Martino, this time, you know, he gets in with a special wildcard, uh, with, with a special exempt. So he might be making three finals in a row. Who knows? We've also got Brandon Nakashima here and he faces Yoris Delor in the first round. So 
Uh, it's tough. I mean, it's not going to be easy for Brandon here. And then you have Ivan Gakov playing a qualifier there. And the very bottom section is Benoit Per against Jan Hoinski. Otto Virtanen plays a qualifier. Uh, Hies Brauer plays Luka Puy with a wildcard. And Artur Rindernach is the second seed facing a qualifier as well. When it comes to that qualifying, uh, I think we've had some results coming in today already. Uh, Mark Layal has actually lost the first set to James Kent Trotter the moment I'm speaking about this. So that's that's going to be wild if he if he's going to lose there. Um, Layal being, uh, you know, pretty high ranked for a challenger for challenger qualifying. But that's the uh, reality of this draw of how strong it is. Anyway, when it comes to some other threats, Lamazine is there. Uh, Ricardas Berankis won his first round today. Let's see if uh, Igor Gerasimov maybe can pull off something. Obviously, he's had a few runs recently. And the uh, uh, Nottingham semi-finalist, or sorry, not Nottingham, but Sherbrooke semi-finalist, Michal Hertz, is also here playing Kenida Shepard. The moment I'm uh, talking about this, this match actually hasn't started yet. So there's a few threats in the qualies. So, for example, if we're already sort of thinking of Rodionov Ridi round two, maybe we should sort of stop for now and maybe uh, someone can actually threaten the Swiss. However... Who am I picking for the title here? And I'm really trying not to go Brandon Nakashima, but I think I might have to. He's playing Yoris Delor in the first round. Yes, that's tough. Uh, also, he lost in Sherburg. Uh, so yeah, in Sherburg. I don't know if he's really gonna be like so hungry for it right now because he's really given himself that challenger points cushion already. Like he could really hit the main tour anytime now. And I, I kind of feel like the drive, the hunger might not be there, but at the same time, I will feel really stupid if Nakashima wins this title and I didn't pick him. Because, yeah, I mean, he's probably the most informed player here. I wonder if Rindernech can pull it off. I've picked him before this year. Uh, he lost to Herbert, I think, there at that event that Herbert won. But, yeah, I think Rindernech is also a very real pick here. Uh, he plays Brauer in the second round or Puy. That's good for him, I think. And the third round, Per, Hoinski, Virtanen. You know what? No, I'm, I'm going to switch it. I'm going to go with Rindernech. Obviously, it would be lovely if we get a Nakashima Rindernech semi. But yeah, I'm, go I'm going to try Artur Rindernech. He has an easier quarter, and that's why I'm going to go for him. I also don't think he's as reliable as Brandon, but... Well, you can't always get what you want. You, ca you can't have everything. Alice, Barrer, uh, that's a very tough quarter. Also, because there's Shidek, there's Edmund in there, there's Droge even. Well, Droge maybe not that much of a threat. And the first quarter, when you have Rodionov, Ridi, uh, round two potentially, I don't want to touch it at all. So, yeah, I'm going with Rindernech. I think the other pick is Nakashima mostly. And I'm just going to try Arthur because he has an easier quarter to me. And um, that's kind of provided that Virtanen doesn't peak, but uh, we'll, we will see, I mean, how often that happens recently outside Davis Cup, not too often for sure. And then let's go to Pune, the Challenger 100, which is, of course, the third event of the Indian Swing this year, lasting four. But last year it was the last one and Marks Purcell won it. Uh, so he is the defending champion, even though, of course, he's not here. But last year had that insane run of winning three Challengers in a row in India. Anyway, when it comes to this this week, we have Sumit Nagal again playing it and being the top seed. He faces Yus Yusu, there's Niki Kalyanda Punacha facing Goncalo Oliveira. Oliveira, it's interesting that we haven't seen him uh, in these Indian events before, I think. Uh, I mean, not before, you know, as his whole career, but like the past couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, I guess he was in Manama last week, losing to, to Fatic. Only five matches so far this year, which Oliveira must be very... 
uh, it must be very weird for him, right? Because he usually plays 50 weeks a year and <laughs> basically last year played like 120 matches. Anyway, Seongchan Hong plays Max Kashnikovsky. That's a great, great first round. Maxine Jonvier against Dane Sweeney. I like that one too. If Jonvier can uh, sort of bring himself to, to actually, uh, well, do something this year because I think he's 0-7 and seven by now. Although he had three match points against Ramkumar Ramanathan and he also made the doubles final. So maybe some good times are coming for him. Valentin Vashro is the fourth seed playing a qualifier and then Blancanor Skulkate. Then you also have qualifier against Kwako and Sekulic against Shina. Another amazing first round if Sekulic delivers. Again, lastly, uh, lately it hasn't been working out for him. Federico Gallo, eighth seed, plays Mukund Sasi Kumar. Then you have Coleman Wong against the qualifier. Tunglin Wu against Onkleon. Adam Walton, who made the quarters and lost to Nagal last week playing a qualifier. So this is a strong section too. We've got Wong and Walton, the two guys that lost to uh, Nagal last, last week. And in the very bottom quarter, the very bottom section, you've got uh, Oliver Crawford as the sixth seed playing a qualifier. Then Napolitano plays Ramanathan. Big one. And also Boyer Rokabataya, a rematch for last week, where Boyer probably will be a bit disappointed that he lost despite Rokabataya's run. So Idukovic can play them in the second round as well uh, against the qualifier. I think this is the least lopsided of the draws in the Indian swing so far. I think the quality has sort of gotten stronger as uh, time progresses. Also, we have Benjamin Bonzi in the qualifying. He is the top seed. He obviously could have been easily in the main draw here. He could have been one of the I think maybe even the second seed if he signed up for the main draw, but he only signed up for the qualifying. He beats uh, Sidant Bantia in the first round, losing seven games. I don't know how that, you know, what that says about him, but he's going to play Rafael Colignon in the final qualities round. And that's a real threat. And that's going to stop me from picking Bonzi, I think, even though he could easily win this event. We also have Dalavale playing against Fansto. That's interesting. Donskoy, Bernard Tomic, Vasek Pospisil as well. He crushed Chunsin Seng today. So there are a few threats in the qualifying for sure. And I don't know uh, who uh, can really be sort of mentioned as a very reliable, very reasonable pick uh, in this draw. Like literally, I would say maybe Sumit Nagal is still the option to go for. However, I'm not going to do that because I just don't know if he's going to hold up physically, right? So I'm not, I'm not going to try that. I think Sumit... He was down, uh, you know, energy-wise in Bengaluru. I don't know if he has it in him to win five more matches here. He could, like, he easily could. So this might end up hurting me, but I'm not going to go with Sumit Nagal. I'm actively trying to go for something else. And you know what? I'm going to try Valentin Vashro. He has started the year very well. I think the conditions that we have in the Indian swing, which usually contain a little bit of altitude, that, that's pretty good for him for the most part. Obviously, uh, he's been a player who succeeded in like San Marino and uh, yeah, events like that. So he is still 13 and 1 for the year. The only loss coming to Gabriel Diallo in Delray Beach qualifying. I'm going to try Valentin Vachero. Uh, I am very interested to see if he can maintain that non-taburi form and uh, manage to get something together in Pune as well. Like if he does that, he would actually be sort of on the way to a top 100 debut this year, right? Like. He would be kind of on the way if he if he won Pune. So it would be a crazy run for him, 18-1, and one, if he finished Pune 18-1 and one for the season. But we'll see. Uh, I think it's possible. I like the conditions for him, for sure. And this is a pretty tight draw anyway. Like, it's, it's hard to find a winner pick here. 
And the last event that we have is a Challenger 75 in Tenerife. Brandon Nakashima is technically the defending champion, even though it was this year, because it's the second event in Tenerife. There's going to be one more. Jean-Bor Piroche, uh, as I mentioned, is the Sherburg, uh, is the, Sher the Sherburg champion, is the top seed. He might be getting into the top 100 here, but he will probably need a title or at least a final. Uh, he plays Jules Marie, then Galarno or Novak. Uh, there's Enrique Rocha playing Daniel Rincon, uh, Franco Agamenone as the eighth seed playing a qualifier. We've got Misolic Kuzmanov, that's a pretty good first round. Josef Kovalik faces Richard Zussman. I have to say that I kind of hate this because this is like straight up corruption, but well, what can you do? R Richard Zussman, if you don't know him, just check out his ITF records. This is a guy we sort of heard about in 2021 when he got a main draw wildcard for the challenger in Kyiv. Yes, we used to have a challenger in Kyiv where I think Agamemnon beat Baez in the final that year. And Richard Zussman was on like a crazy ITF qualifying losing streak and yet he still got that wildcard, so... Well, I mean, we can only assume that he's buying it. He's also playing doubles here with Raul Brancaccio. <laughs> so it's going to be pretty wild. Uh, he's definitely not the favorite against Josef Kovalik. It's, it's kind of impossible for him to win. That's, that's what it seems, at least. Not that I've watched the guy since Kiev, since three years, but, you know, his ITF results have not improved, at least not too much. Sometimes he's winning qualifying matches now. Uh, you've also got Bonadio against Travaglia. Interesting Italian battle and Neumayer against Ivashka. A lot of Italians here, but as you guys probably remember, this is the event that is organized by an Italian corporation in uh, Tenerife. So that's why they often show up here. They sometimes even get wildcards. Rodriguez Taverna against Landaluce. Landaluce, by the way, just won a 25K this week, which was actually a pretty impressive field. I think he crushed Sultanov in the final. Who else did he beat? There was an impressive win there somewhere um, that I'm now forgetting, and I wanted to give you that. Um, it was... Um, well, maybe not impressive as a whole, but like the, the, the whole field, if you look at it, you know, Vale, Dominguez, Fomin, Araujo. Obviously, he had to lose to, um, he, he lost to Brandon Nakashima in Tenerife, but it was a very tight match. So I still think that Landaluce might make a big leap this year. Would be interesting to see, to see if he can uh, actually start sort of progressing towards it here. Franco Maestrelli plays a qualifier there. Martin Dam against Sanchez Izquierdo. Interesting for them to be here, not in Po. Also, Moro Cañas against Yamas Ruiz, great Spanish battle, another Italian battle of Gigante Gianessi. And then in the bottom section, there's so many qualifiers. And there's Mitchell Kruger, actually. So that's quite interesting because we rarely see him in these events anymore, uh, especially in Europe, right? And Jesper de Jong, the second seed, he plays a qualifier. So um, it's a good draw for Jesper, I have to say. Anyway, let's see if in the qualifying we can uh, find some threats. Um, so it hasn't finished yet when I'm talking about that. Uh, the first, the first uh, you know, round hasn't finished yet. Uh, but let's say, yeah, Adrian Andreev, if he qualifies, Daniel Michalski, uh, I don't know if he can be a threat really in Tenerife, but maybe he deserves a mention. Uh, Mo Savvat beat Timofey Skatov today, so Skatov didn't maintain his Davis Cup form. Javier Barranco Cosano. There are some interesting players. Augustao Elias. He somehow lost the set to Massimo Giunta today. That would have been a crazy upset. But Gastao Elias is actually in pretty good form this year. Maybe, maybe he can be uh, competitive in Tenerife. But anyway, I'm not going for a qualifier when it comes to the winner picks. I kind of have to go with Jesper de Jong, I think. I'm not too comfortable with Mitchell Kruger. Maybe Matteo Gigante can also be tough. Uh, but just all the qualifiers that he has in his section and as a whole just looking maybe is like the most lopsided potentially section and, and generally Jesper being one of the strongest players in the draw. I like that combo, you know. 
I do think that he's the most reasonable option here and he probably can do it. Jean-Bor Piroche, uh, honestly, he could secure his top 100 this week. Like, the draw is there. He can capitalize on a draw like this. However, we know that with Jean-Bor, it's, like, it's often not easy for him to play back-to-back -back weeks or generally do anything that will require, you know, a lot of conditioning, stamina. So I think that Jean-Bor is also a sensible option despite going for back-to-back -back titles, but I'm not going to do that myself. Uh, Ivashka, maybe if he randomly finds form, obviously he has the potential to. I'm not really going to pick Landalusa yet, but there might be a moment this year when I'm picking Landalusa to win the challenge title. Who knows? I mean, there definitely will be a moment in the f like that in the future, uh, 2025, for example. But maybe this year, maybe it will be too early. But I'm very excited to see how he'll do because he won that 25k and seems like it was just a quality field, honestly. Maybe not, as I said, maybe not too many like Uber highlights but just round by round, every time he had a difficult opponent, pot or potentially difficult opponent at least. Uh, so yeah, with that, uh, let me uh, wrap this up here. Thank you guys, as usual, for listening. We are approaching 55, 56 minutes. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be back next week to talk about Po, Tenerife and uh, Pune. Let's keep going. Let's keep going with the Indian swing. Also, of course, the European indoor season. Let's enjoy it while it, while it lasts because they really made it much shorter this year. So there's only like a couple or more, couple more weeks coming, really, or uh, maybe three more weeks coming. And uh, yeah, let's keep tuning into Challenger Tennis and I'll see you guys next time.